0: I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. The title of the series is Coping with Everyday Life. And I'm basing this series on 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. On Sundays and Wednesday nights, I'll be focusing on how to cope with everyday situations, unbelief, how to cope with rejection, how to cope with fear, how to cope with anger, how to cope with suicidal tendencies, how to cope with sickness how to cope with being unloved, and how to cope with a sin problem. Today I'm going to start with unbelief, how to cope with unbelief. Now, the series scripture is in 2 Corinthians 9, and it reads as follows, but he, meaning Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast with all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures. Because of Christ. For when I am weak. Then I am strong. Now that doesn't read right. Listen at it again. But he said to me. My grace. Would you say God's grace. Hmm. Is sufficient for you. The power. For power. Is perfected in weakness. Here's what Paul says. Therefore because of God's grace, would you say because of God's grace? Therefore, I will, I will most gladly brag all the more about my weaknesses. You know that doesn't sound right. So that Christ's power may reside in me. Next verse. Listen at Paul. So I take pleasure. In weaknesses, you know you've never heard anything like that before. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults. How many of you take pleasure in being insulted, called out of your name, falsely accused? He said, I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes. You take pleasure in losing your house or your family or your job? He said, I take pleasure in persecutions and in pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I want to talk to you today on how to cope with unbelief. I like to use mark sixteen verse eleven and a few following, yet it reads, yet when they heard that Jesus was alive and had been seen by her or Mary Magdalene, they did not believe it. Then, after this, he appeared in a different form to two of them walking on their way into the country and They went and reported it to the rest who did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they, the eleven, the disciples, did not believe those who saw him after he had been risen or resurrected. And then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And all the people said, Amen. Would you take note of the fact, thank you, ushers, would you take note of the fact that he rebuked his own followers, his disciples? When it says the 11, it's talking about the original disciples, all but Judas, who had committed suicide. And here it said that they did not believe that he had risen from the dead. And he's getting ready to send them out to preach, to teach, and to heal. And yet, they didn't believe that he had resurrected himself. And he rebuked them as a final act. What is unbelief? Unbelief is unreasoning. It makes unreasonable demands on God and on the church. When you talk about unbelief, it is when people make unreasonable demands in order that God will prove his existence or unreasonable demands on the church to prove that it is authentic and that it is actually real and that the Bible is real, and that we will all be judged by the word of God, by God himself. And so when you speak of unbelief, you're not talking about doubt. You're talking about something totally different. Doubt is when you could believe, you've just chosen not to believe one or two certain things. But when you talk about unbelief, it is wholesale. Well, unbelief is a spirit. It's not an idea. There's a spirit or an attitude. When you talk about a spirit, a spirit is an attitude. A spirit is a response. A spirit is the way people process information. To have unbelief is to have an, uh, an evil spirit of unbelief. Unbelief is not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's only mentioned in the New Testament. And there are places in the New Testament where people choose not to believe either who Jesus is or believe what's been done in their midst came from God. When you read Mark 16 and 14 in the context, Jesus had risen from the dead. Well, the first person he showed himself to was Mary Magdalene. You remember that. According to the Bible, she had formerly had seven demons. She was a local prostitute. But she'd been following Jesus for three years, was well-known and well-loved by him. And when she went and told the disciples that she had seen him, many of them did not believe her. Then the Bible says here in Mark 16 that Jesus walked with two other disciples. You remember that in the book of Luke to the village of Emmaus. He went home with them. He sat at the table And spoke grace over the food and they realized who he was, risen from the dead. When those two men came back or two disciples came and told the 11 disciples that followed Jesus closely and intimately and personally that Jesus had appeared unto them, the Bible said they didn't believe them either. That is the danger of unbelief. Now unbelief is the opposite of faith. And faith and unbelief cannot get along. That's why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That a man and woman who are not of the same faith should not be married. They should not be dating because one is a believer and the other is not. And they cannot. They cannot please the Lord with that type of relationship. We have to be very careful because if you are a person of faith, your faith can be destroyed by an unbeliever. Unbelief is just that powerful. And may I say to you something I've said to you before? There is one thing in this world stronger than the power of God. It's the power of unbelief. Even God can't do anything for anybody if they choose to not believe in him. He can't save you. He can't bless you. He can't deliver you. Because without faith, Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you are a believer, your faith can grow. But if you get connected with an unbeliever, your faith can be destroyed. And their unbelief can nullify the effect of your faith. You can actually live in bondage and misery because you've connected yourself with an unbeliever. Now, what are the works of unbelief? Well, first of all, a refusal to trust God's word. I bring the word of God to people. And some will sit there and say, well, I don't believe that. I don't hear that. I don't believe in that much. I don't believe in healing. I know the the pastor, the bishop said God will heal, but I don't believe that that's for us today. Others will say, well, I hear the bishop when he says, if I pay tithe, God will bless me beyond measure. I don't believe that. I believe that everyone has five senses. And God wants you to live by your own senses. I don't believe the word of God. I don't believe when I'm taught what God will do in regards to answering prayer. And I don't believe that everything in the Bible is for us. I believe some is for Israel. I believe some may be for certain folk. But I'm going to look out for myself. That is unbelief. It's a refusal to trust God. Unbelief is also a form of fear that there are those that are just afraid to live by faith. And so they decide to tolerate the teachings of the word, but they're not going to submit to it. Then unbelief always sees the problem, but it never sees God. It can always tell you what's wrong, but never show you that God is the answer. People talk a lot about the problem, but they don't discuss solutions because of unbelief. Unbelief is a deliberate rejection of truth. People will say, I will not do that. And according to Hebrews 3 and 12, unbelief proceeds from an evil heart. When a person has unbelief, they're operating out of an evil heart. Hebrews 3 and 12 lays that out. And it says in Hebrews 3 and 12, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So unbelief is destructive. Unbelief denies others to get healed or helped. Do you recognize when we're in a church service, the reason why a lot of times you don't see more miracles is because there are too many people there in unbelief. When you follow the ministry of Jesus, even Jesus, the Son of God, had to take people out of a room or put other folk out of the room before he could work the miracle. The Bible said after the woman with the issue of blood was healed, he went to the home of Jairus because the 12-year-old girl of Jairus, his daughter, had died. Jesus goes to the house to work a miracle. The Bible said there were some professional mourners there. Like people we know today, on Saturday, they just go from funeral to funeral looking for free food. Well, in Jesus' time, you had people that would go to mourn for money. And when he got to Jairus' home, it was full of mourners who were there as professional mourners. But in order for him to raise the girl from the dead, the word said he had to put all of them out because when he said to them, she's not dead, she's sleeping, they stopped crying and started laughing. You cannot have miracles in an environment of unbelief. Even in a church service, if there is more unbelief present than belief, miracles don't happen. Now, I know what people say. They say, well, God is God. He can do whatever he wants to do. Listen, here's what God wants to do. He wants to respond to faith. God doesn't override my unbelief. If he did, he would save all of us, and we wouldn't have to have church every Sunday. He just saved the whole world. We'd all go to heaven, and we could start in the millennium. But the reason why we're still here is because God will not force anybody to accept him. And even though you pray for loved ones and friends and you like to see them get saved, the truth is they will never get saved until they choose to be saved. Because God will not force his goodness on anyone. Unbelief denies others to get help and others to get healed. And there are so many people who are sick and in distress because they sit up in a church filled with unbelief. How many times in my ministry have I gone to preach in churches and the word had no freedom? The more I preached, it seemed like the sermon was just bouncing off the wall back into me. Because people sit there with no unbelief. How do you know when people have belief? Because they will say amen. When people have belief, they will give a response. When people have belief, they will double down on what you just said. Watch this. Jesus is Lord. You see, that is a response of faith. I preached in churches where I talked about Jesus and people got quieter and quieter and quieter. And because of that, whoever may have been there in bondage needed to be delivered could not, not be delivered. I wouldn't go to a church full of unbelief. I wouldn't sit up under a preacher full of unbelief. I want to hear the word of God. And I want the opportunity for that word to work in my life. Well, unbelief also sends people to hell. Now, please hear this. Sin, S-I-N, does not send people to hell. Unbelief does. The Bible never teaches in any place that people go to hell because of sin. People go to hell because of unbelief. You say, well, why would you say that? Because Jesus died for all sin. Not only did Jesus die for all sin, the Bible said Jesus became our sins on the cross. So when you look at Jesus on the cross, you're not only looking at full payment for all sin, you're looking at sin itself. He became adultery on the cross. He became murder on the cross. He became evil on the cross. He became robbery and theft on the cross. Jesus, who knew no sin, the Bible said, became our sins on the cross. No, sin doesn't send people to hell. Unbelief sends people to hell. Did you not know that every man and woman's and every child's sin is paid for? Past, present, and future. From Adam to the end of time, All sin was paid for at the cross. I wish I had a witness. On the cross, all of my sins were paid for. And salvation was extended to me at the cross. That's a done deal. Now, in order for me to be saved, all I have to do, all you have to do is reach out and take what the Lord has already done. He's not going to come and die for you. He doesn't have to do anything else about sin. It is a finished work and it's already done. I wish I could get a witness. Because sin is already done, even the person who's the most wicked and vile person on the face of the earth, their sin is already paid for. But how do they get it? They have to reach out and accept it. What if they don't reach out and accept it? That is called unbelief. You see, that's what the gospel is. The gospel is good news. And it's the good news that the Lord has already paid your bill. The good news is that you don't have to go to hell. What you have to do is accept him as your savior and be born again. What you have to do is reach out and accept and receive what the Lord has already done. And whatever you have done and whatever sin is in the world, Jesus has already taken care of that. That's what John the Baptist meant that day when he saw Jesus coming to the baptism and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I wish I had a witness. And understand, the only thing that sends a person to hell is rejecting that truth. He said, Well, I had a lady to ask me once when I was pastor of another church in the northern part of the state. And I was 21 years old. She was in her 60s. And I thought surely she would have known better than that, especially with her education and her husband's education. And he was uh, one of the highest ranking people in that city. And I just thought anybody. She said, let me ask you something in Bible study. She said, what if I sin and then get on an airplane? And then that airplane crashes and I die before I can pray for it. Doesn't that mean I'll go to hell? Why, absolutely not. You don't go to heaven because you're good? You think you're that good? You really think that the reason people go to heaven is because they're that good? No, you don't go to heaven for your goodness. You go to heaven because God is good. I wish I had a witness. That's why it's called grace. It's called grace because I'm not good. It's called grace because I cannot earn it. It's called grace because God freely gives it to me because I can't afford it. So no, you sin. Christians do sin. So what happens when Christians sin? It's called 1 John 1 and 9. You know it? If we confess our sins. I wish I had a Bible reader. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, when a sinner sins, that's what sinners do. When a saint sins, they can confess and be forgiven. And the truth is that because people don't understand that, we walk around in a religious bondage, not knowing or understanding the fact that if you sin, get on a plane, and the plane crashes, when you sin, you didn't sin as an unbeliever, you sin as a believer. And because you are a believer, can anybody say believer? Can you say it stronger than that? Say it three times. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Believers don't perish. Believers don't go to hell. Believers are children of God. Here's what John said in First John 3 and 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Behold now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and every man that had this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. I wish I had a Bible reader. Hebrews 12 and 1 said Wherefore sing we are compassed about With so great a cloud of witnesses Let us lay aside every weight And sin that doth so easily beset us And let us run with patience The race that is set before us Looking unto Jesus The author and finisher of our faith Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross Despised the shame And is now set down upon the right hand Of the throne of God Verse 3 said For consider him That endured such contradiction Of sinners against himself Lest she also be weary and faint in your minds. The truth of the matter is, I am a believer. Can you say that with me? I, what, am, who, a believer. And because I'm a believer, I cannot perish. No. But what sends people to hell is unbelief. Hell was built for unbelievers. People say, well, I thought hell was there for the devil and demons. Well, if that were true, they'd be there now and they're not. The Bible said that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. The Bible teaches that he's not in hell, he's in the mid air. He sits above the earth, and that underneath him are principalities, powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. I wish I had a Bible reader. Paul said in Ephesians 6, For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, we wrestle against principalities and powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Demons are not in hell, they're around here in Desmond. They're walking up and down the streets of every city and town and village and in the rural and the country. They're everywhere you go. No, they're not in hell. Hell was created for unbelievers. And if you choose not to believe in the Lord, if you reject the invitation that I give to come to Jesus, then you have no other destination available to you after death but a place called hell. And you go to hell because I told you God is good. You said no. I told you Jesus died for your sins. You said no. I told you that he will save you. He'll save anybody from the guttermost to the uttermost. But you said no. I told you that his blood was shed to wash your sins away. His body was beaten that through through his stripes you could be healed. I told you that you can live with him, rule with him, and reign for him in heaven forevermore. But you said I don't. Don't believe it. Well, when you die, you can't stay here. You got to go somewhere. So God was nice to you. He prepared a place for you to go. It's called hell. I don't have a witness here. Israel died in the wilderness because of unbelief. In Matthew 13, the Bible teaches that Jesus went to his hometown. Check this out. It says this also in the gospel of Mark. Chapter 5. Said so Jesus went to his hometown. He, you know, when you go home, you like to impress people. He goes to his hometown. He loved to work miracles there. He's a hometown boy. Homeboys come home. What's he been doing? Healing the sick, raising the dead. I wish I had a witness. What's he been doing? Giving hearing to deaf ears, sight to blind eyes. What's he been doing? Doing the work of God. Acts 10.38 said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and he went about doing good, healing all of those who were oppressed of the devil. What's he been doing? Good works. But when you get around your own kinfolk, they don't believe in you. Have you experienced that yet? No matter how successful you get, Somebody's always running up to you. I remember when. I remember when you we used to get high together. I remember we used to run women run, run women together. I, I remember when we used to gamble together. I, I remember when you used to cuss. I, I remember I remember you. Don't you try to be all of that in front of me? And the Bible said when Jesus went to his hometown, they wouldn't believe in him because they said we know his mama. And we know his daddy Joseph. Well Joseph was dead by that time but you know that was a scandal concerning Jesus' mother because as a single girl a teenager she claimed God made her pregnant. They didn't believe that any more than you would believe it. Let one of these girls get up in here say I'm pregnant. God got me pregnant. What would you say? I don't have a witness around this church. And because of their unbelief, the Bible said he could do no mighty works. Said he laid his hands on a few sick people and that was it because they chose not to believe. And so many times in church, I'm getting through, but so many times in church, people choose not to believe. I grew up in the church and I thank God for the church. I've been in church longer than I can remember how long. The truth of the matter is that I could say the 66 books of the Bible before I could read. At four years old, I knew Genesis to Revelation. At five years old, for kindergarten graduation, that's what I had to do to graduate kindergarten. I had to say 66 books of the Bible, and I couldn't stumble or stutter. I had to spit them out just like I'm preaching to you now. And at five years old, before I even understood how to read, I knew the books of the Bible. I've been around church a long time. I wish I had a witness. At 11 years old, I joined, they called it back then, joining the church. I joined the church at 11 years old. I wanted to come before then, but the people that raised me were born in the 19th century, and they believed in something called an age of accountability. And they didn't think until you were around 12 that you should even join the church. So I joined the church at 11 years old. Two weeks after I joined the church, I joined the choir. I started singing in the junior choir at 11 years old and I've been on the platform ever since. You know, I don't understand people that come to the Lord but they don't want to work for the Lord. The truth is that if the Lord saves your life, you owe him your life. You owe him your time. You owe him your talent. And you owe him your treasure. You got all eternity in the presence of the Lord but what will you do with the Lord here and now? No, I joined the church at 11 years old. I started teaching Sunday school at 16 in a thousand member church. At 17, I taught the intermediate groups and I taught vacation Bible school. At 18 years old, I accepted my calling to preach and stepped into the pulpit to preach for the first time. Now the truth of the matter is I actually started speaking when I was 15 so you can credit me those other three years if you like to. As a matter of fact I spoke in churches even in Bessemer at 15 and 16 and 17 years old. Wasn't old enough to drive a car and had two van loads of people, members from the church coming to me, coming up here with me in Bessemer because I'm a public speaker. 18 years old I started a community choir had about 170 voices and it made up of young people from three of the largest churches in town. And so during that time, I got exposed to prayer and gifts of the Spirit and started hearing about the ministry of healing. It was during that time I accepted a call to preach. Well, when I accepted the call to preach, I was president of one choir in the church and chaplain of the male chorus. The president of the male chorus was named Brother Humphreys. He was in his 60s. I was a teenager, but we were close friends. I visit Brother Humphreys once a week, sit on the porch, talk with him a couple of hours. Brother Humphreys was on disability. He's the first man I've ever known that was on disability He had a back problem His back problem wouldn't allow him to bend over His back problem gave him all kinds of issues And they they had him on full disability But I knew a pastor that he also knew That was in my father's district When my father pastored This man was the moderator of that district But he had a gift of healing That God was working through him And we knew the man well He was the best preacher in our city And I said to Brother Humphreys one day, I said, let me take you over to see Dr. So-and-so, Reverend So-and-so. Because I've been visiting him. He'd been praying with me. He'd been opening the scriptures up to me. That's how I know scripture now. And I took Brother Humphreys, who was a stalwart member in Beulah Baptist Church. He was a strong member, a well-known member. He was the president of the choir. He was over trustees. He was well-known in the BTU. He was the assistant director of the BTU. But I drove him over to that preacher's house. He got out of the car best he could, made his way up the sidewalk. Going up the sidewalk, he could hardly get up the steps into the house. But the man of God prayed for him. I said he prayed for him. When he prayed for him 15 to 20 minutes later, we come out of the house. There's a newspaper that the paper boy had thrown in the yard. Without thinking, Brother Humphreys bent over and picked up that newspaper. He didn't even know that God had healed him while he was in the house. I wish I had a witness here. Listen, he didn't know, and then he started doing some gestures with his back. He said, oh, I'm healed in Jesus' name. All the way back to his house. I'm driving the car, driving his Oldsmobile, and he's just smiling and happy. said, man, I can do stuff now I had not been able to do in years. I can move my legs. I don't have no pain in my knees. God has healed me. Well, we had revival going on at the church that same week. At our church, we go over to the revival. I'm a 16, 17-year-old boy, 18-year-old boy. I don't have no business around the older men, but I see them over under the tree talking. And Humphreys is telling the other men, the deacons and the other people in the church, he's telling them about how God healed them. You know what they did? They laughed at him. They shook their head. They said, oh, I don't believe in that mess. They said, oh, you done got caught up with one of these faith healers. He said, no, this is, this is Reverend so-and-so. This is a man, he preaches here all the time. We know him well. We all have served with him over the years. They said, oh, I don't believe it. That is unbelief. You know, the truth of the matter is you could be in a much higher place than you are right now if you didn't suffer with unbelief. It can hurt you. So how do you How do you destroy it? Let's go home. First of all, don't stay in it and die. Learn to believe God. I wish I had a witness here. Yeah, don't stay in it and die. You say, well, Bishop, I don't know what to believe. Well, that's easy. I preach faith. Believe what I preach. What do you mean by that? I mean, don't just sit up here and wait on time to go home. I mean take notes. I mean desire to walk in it. I mean on Wednesday night, you you know, now listen to me, listen to me carefully because my second point is study faith and develop it. How did you get up here today? You drove a car. Most of you did. You had to study how to drive before you could drive it. Is that right? Some of y'all cooked the other day. People ate your cooking. How did you learn to cook? Had to study that. You know what we have to do? Study faith. What we've done, we put faith in the same bag with prayer and a lot of other stuff. We just kind of throw it out when we need it. Well, I need I, I need to believe God. But have you studied how to believe Him? Do you know exactly what that means? When you're in a jam, do you know what scriptures are in the Bible to help you get out of that jam? See, I don't need you looking for the Ten Commandments when you're in a jam. That ain't going to help you. No, that's not going to help you. Mm -mm. You need to know what verses of Scripture go with what bad situation. You say, but how do I learn that? (laughs) That's what the church is for. My purpose as your pastor is to teach you how to get out of a jam. Now, I know you thought my purpose was to get you out of it. Come pray with me. Get me out of it. No, you pray for yourself. You got in it. I don't want to climb in the jam with you. I'm jam free. No, my job is not to rescue you. I wish I had a witness. My job is to show you how to avoid jams. Or if you get in one, how to rebuke it. So you have to study faith. You won't learn it just because you showed up. I don't have a witness in this church. How did you get a high school diploma? You had to study. How did you get a college degree? You had to study. How did you get certification in the job you have now? You had to study. And then when new procedures and techniques came out, they put you in another orientation. Why? Because you got to st- keep studying. Study faith and develop it. You know, by now, you ought to be able to rebuke sickness. I don't have a witness. Rather than catch it, somebody said to me earlier, I'm catching a cold. This time of year people say, I'm catching the flu. What you running behind it for? Why you want to catch it? I don't have the flu. I'm not going to have it. You know why? Because I know how not to have it. But how you make a statement like that? It's in the word. Want me to show you? I don't have a witness here. I wish I could get a few more amens. I'd feel better. No, the truth of the matter is when you talk about serving the Lord, it's got benefits attached to it. So you study faith and develop it. You want your finances turned around? The Bible is full of help for that. You'd rather pay some billionaire $500 to go sit in his class which you're only making him a big how you think he got to be a billionaire off of poor people that couldn't afford it trying to get rich I don't have a witness when you serve a God that says I give you power to get wealth and then he gives you step by step by step of how your house can be filled with wealth but you have to study faith then the circumstances in life will either shrink your faith or stretch your faith. Somebody says, Stretch your faith. How do we do it here? We'd like to what? Stretch, stretch our faith. Listen, circumstances in life either shrinks your faith or stretches your faith. Is there a is that I'm 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 through. I'm I'm ready to go home. Is there a, a a pot or in the kitchen? A boiler? anybody know? Rube, is there a big boiler in the kitchen? Can I get it? Somebody run to get it for me. Cedric, can you find it? Somebody find it. Corey, can you find it? Fast as you can because they're impatient. When I said boiler, they thought about eating. Of course, they, they ain't that anxious to eat because they're still eating leftovers. That's the only thing about Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving, you eat ham and turkey. Next day, you eat ham and turkey. Saturday, you eat ham sandwiches and turkey sandwiches. Sunday, you get hungry. Somebody say, It's still some ham in there. So you ain't cook nothing now? No, what I'm gonna cook for, and we got all that food still left. If you take this boiler, what do you call this? Is this a boiler? This what you call that? A boiler? I'm through. Get ready to play. It's a boiler. It's a pot. That's what it is. It's a pot. See, I don't cook, so I don't. I don't even know what you call this stuff. No, I don't cook. You don't want to eat my cooking. I ain't studied that. You want to eat anybody's cooking? Ain't studied cooking, huh? I ain't studied that. I studied the word. I'll tell you what, I give you the word, you feed me, we'll be fine. I don't have a witness around here. What if this pot was full and I'm trying to carry this pot through the house and it's full up to the brim, Deacon Cole, and somebody bumps into me? What happens? Sharon bumps into me. I got a full pot. Shane bumps into me. Paul's trying to get by me, and he accidentally bumps into me. What's going to happen? Because if somebody bumps into you, and you're carrying a pot, whatever you got in this pot, it's going to spill. That's why you're supposed to be full of the Holy Ghost. That's why you're supposed to be full of grace. I wish I had a witness. That's why the Bible says. Rejoice always. You're supposed to be full of thanksgiving. Come here, Paul. Come on. Come quick, Paul. You closest to me. I got a pot. In my pot, I got Thanksgiving. I got Thanksgiving in my pot. Bump into me. Bump into me. What happens? Huh? What happens? It spills. So in life, when circumstances bump into you, bump into me. What spills out of your pot? Thanksgiving if that's what you got in it. You get a letter in the mail you were not looking for that bumped into you. But what spills out? Thank you Jesus. A bill come due you were not looking for it bumps into you but what spills out of the pot? Now what if you got cussing in this pot? And you get in a car accident. And somebody bump into you, what you said? Thank you, Jesus, or? See, whatever you're full of, how do you know what you're full of? By your first response to trouble in life. And with some folk, stand right there, Paul. With some folk, as soon as something bad happens, first thing they say is, Then they back up and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm through. I'm ready to go home. Listen, you got a bill due. You didn't know what's due. Because somebody messed you up. You fool around and signed somebody's cell phone bill or whatever. You done paid your part of the bill. They were supposed to pay theirs three weeks ago. Still lying. Tell me I'll be by there tomorrow. Tomorrow ain't never come. They bump into you. What spills out? See, if you're full of anger, and some of us are full of anger, we're mad. I mean, we show enough mad. We're mad with the world. We're mad with our family. We're mad with our ex. We're mad with our present. Whatever you call them, booze or, or whatever they are, we're just mad. And on the job, all it takes, when you get to work tomorrow, is for one of them to say something to you that you didn't want to hear. And you know what that is? They bump into you, and what spills out? Anger. Because whatever's in your pot, when you get bumped, that's what spills Give me three minutes, I'm going to let you go. Some of us, we're filled with depression. We cry at the drop of a hat. Don't take much make us cry. Look at us funny. Go to crying. Well, my mama was this way. No, your mama ain't got nothing to do with you crying. Don't put it on her. Your mama had her own problems. You got yours. Don't put it on her. No, that's what you're filled with. You know why we come to church? So we can get filled with the right thing. Because just as sure as you're born to die, trouble is coming your way. Trial is coming your way. People problems are coming. I'm sorry to have to call you that. People problems are coming your way. Somebody's going to bump into you. And I know what you're saying. Don't nobody know my heart, but God. No, we know what's in your heart when you get bumped. Because whatever's in your heart coming out, if unbelief is in your heart and you get bumped, you ain't going nowhere and pray. You're going to start complaining. Why me? How come it always be me? You know why? Because that's what's in your pot. I'm through, but I want you to put something else in your pot. I want you to put something else inside of your pot. I want you to get filled with the spirit of God. I want you to get filled up with praise and filled up with thanksgiving. You know why? Because when you get full of praise, praise can change that situation you know why the devil hates praise? Because he is an ex-praiser. And whatever you been, you don't like to see it when it comes around. I don't have a witness here. He lost his job as the chief praiser. And whenever you praise, you put him on the run. He came into your life to bump you in order for you to spill out. The wrong thing. But praise the Lord. (laughs) You got to learn how to respond to situations. If you're full of faith, when you get bumped, come on Paul, bump me one more time. Come on, bump me one more time. Come on, bump me one more. You know why I'm moving from you? Because you're trying to bump me. Up here trying to bump me. Hold on now hold on now I go, I go to church, I read the word I pray, you know what I learned to do avoid you you said, yeah but the Bible said man that is born of a woman is over a few days and they are full of trouble yeah and my Bible said God said call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you, I wish I had a witness, just because there's trouble in life don't mean you got to live in trouble number one you need to know I don't mess with you I'm in the Lord but you know you kind of sneaky you sneak up on me every once in a while but I got a pot and my pot is full of praise bump into me I'll show you what I'm going to (laughs) do
1: I'm on a pot all over my trouble, I'm gonna pour my praise. All over my sickness, I'm gonna pour my praise. All over my heartache, I'm gonna pour my praise. All over my disaster, I'm gonna pour my praise. All over that bad news. Come on, stand up. Let's go home now. Come on, stand up. Let's go home. I'm going to pour my praise all over my trouble. Because you know what I found out? Greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. You know what I found out? God is able. Yes, he is. The Bible said he's able to do exceeding and abundantly more than I can ask or think. They that wait upon the Lord shall. renew their strength, they shall mount up on wings as eagles, they'll run and not be weary, walk and not fade Thank you, Jesus. Is anybody full of praise? Is anybody full of faith? Yes, Lord. Oh, yes. I trust in God wherever I may be. I know He's able. He's able. He's able. able.